So have you ever sung, sung the wrong lyrics to a song? You know, I mean, you just got them wrong. You, know, you didn't get close, you know. Maybe you've done that. I, I came across a couple of lists this week of people that have misheard some lyrics of songs. We're just going to walk through a couple of these. Four Tops had a hit back in the day, and the line goes, ain't no woman like the one I got. But random Jennifer thought it was, ain't no woman like the one-eyed glot. Abba had a song, went like this, dancing queen, feel the beat from the tambourine. Nice, thank you. I just wanted somebody to go with me there. But old Evan, Evan thought that the word was feel the beat from the tangerine. Now, some do say it's, it's hard to beat a, a fresh tangerine, so that's true. Dusty Springfield had a song back in the day, and the line went like this. You don't have to say you love me, just be close at hand. Michael thought it said just be closet ham. A closet ham is a little bit like a canned ham, except it's a little easier to open, the, the closet ham. The old Christmas favorite says what? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And it has that little line that says, all the other, all the, all of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. But, but poor Melinda, she, she thought it was Olive the other reindeer, not, not, not other, Olive the other reindeer. Bless her heart. And bless her childhood for thinking that, too. Kenny Rogers had a well-known song. Picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. Four hungry children and a crop in the field. Old Lisa, though, she thought that it said 400 children and a crop in the field. And if so, bless Lucille's heart, she, she wasn't leaving. She just needed a break, you know. She just, just, just a weekend off. With all of those people mishearing all those lyrics, needless to say, they were not singing in perfect harmony because they were missing the words. But you know, harmony is not just a word for singing. I want you to think about your marriage, your family, your, your kids, your home, your roommate, your neighborhood, uh, your community, your state, your country. Think about all those things and, and listen to this list of things and tell me if you need any of these things in your life. Agreement. Peace, cooperation, understanding, unity, sympathy, friendship. Do you need any of those things? Would any of those things help you? Well, all of those things are another way of describing the word harmony. Harmony. See, we, we need more of that song in our lives. So, how can we get it? How can we get a little more harmony in life? How can you get a little more harmony in your life? Well, let's see if we can find out. We're looking at Philippians chapter 2 beginning, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4 beginning with verse 2. Apostle Paul writes, I urge you, Odia and Syntyche, to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, that's, that's how I researched linguistically how to say their names. If you want to say it some other way, have at it. I'm, I'm fine with it. Rock on. But I'm going to go with Euodia and Syntyche. And so there's these two women in the church, and Paul's heard that they're not living in harmony. There's some kind of disagreement between them. Ruth Graham, wife of Billy Graham, was once asked by a reporter if she ever disagreed with her husband. 
And her response was, it's my opinion, if two people have to agree all the time, then one of them is not necessary. <laughs> yeah, that, that's just funny. <laughs> Christians are going to disagree and Christians are going to argue, but is it wrong? Is, is it wrong for us to disagree and argue? Well, yes and no. If, if Jesus did not argue against the legalism in the church folks of his day, then the people would not have seen the beauty of the gospel. If Martin Luther had not argued against the Roman Catholic Church, then truthfully, Holland Avenue Baptist Church would probably not even exist. And if we don't argue for the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage, we are by default saying that the holiness and the grace and the mercy and the love of God are not important and they are useless and needless. Yeah, there's some things that we need to argue about, so to speak, as Christians. But there's also another type of arguing that we need to avoid at all cost. And what kind of arguing is that? Well, it's the kind of arguing where we with another Christian, we argue over personal preference. We argue over secondary things and we ignore the primary things. These two ladies in the church had some kind of disagreement what kind of disagreement did they have? Well, we don't know. Paul didn't say what the disagreement was, but, but we don't like that, right? We, we want to know. Well, what were they arguing about? What was the disagreement about? We have inquiring minds. You know, many people, though, they just don't really want to know it in a way to help. They just want the information, right? They want to know the details of what happened. What were they disagreeing about? Tell me more about it. And they don't want that information so they can pray for those ladies. They don't want that information so they can help and encourage those ladies. They just want the information for their own curiosity and so that they have something to talk about at lunch after church in the restaurant. See, we want information so often when the information is not the primary thing. The primary thing is there is a disagreement here in the church. And Paul is writing about it. He didn't give us any details about it, but he wrote about it. Can you imagine if this was you? I mean, you take the one book that has been most widely published and read more than any other book in the history of civilization, and you have an entry in that book, and your entry is you're getting called down for arguing. Isn't that fantastic? Wouldn't you love that? I mean, for 2,000 years, these two ladies are known to the world as the two ladies in the church that couldn't get along. I mean, these weren't a couple of kids from the nursery. These were grown women. They were grown, grown, and they could not get along. It's not just women, though, that have an inclination to, to huff and puff and pout when they don't get their way in the church. I know a story of two men in a church that refused to talk to one another over something that happened with the Building and Grounds Committee years and years ago, and they, they still don't talk. Now, I'm sure that whatever that original argument was, was a good one. I bet both of them had good points. I bet one of them said, you know, whatever this is we're doing, it just costs a little too much money for the church. And I bet the other one said, you know what, but this is something that's good for the church. It'll help us to grow. It'll help us reach other people. And then at some point in all of that, the, the church leaders or the, the church itself, the congregation, they decided to move forward with, with some decision. And generally speaking, unless it directly dishonors Jesus when the church leaders of the congregation move forward with something, we all just need to get on board. You know, I've been at this for 30 years. Every vote has not gone the way I wanted it to. Every decision is not made the way I want it to. But I try, sometimes sinfully, but I try to just jump in, keep serving, keep helping, keep doing what the church wants to do. But these two men still refuse to talk over something to do 
with the building. Someone once said this, there is no heavier load than a chip on the shoulder. It's a heavy load. Now, someone might be thinking, what's the big deal? I mean, look, we're human. We're, we're going to argue. And you know you're right. We, we are human, and we are going to argue. And even within the church, there's times where, where a little bit of argument can be good because a, a measure of argument will drive us to see, wait a minute, what does the Bible say about how we should resolve this situation? Not what my opinion is, but, but what does the Bible say about how I should think about this conflict, how I should think about what's going on? Let me let you in on a little bit of a secret. Holland Avenue Baptist Church, we got conflict. You know what? And we always have conflict, and we will always have conflict. You know why? Because we're sinners, and we're prone to wander, and we are prone to be selfish. It's, it's just who we are. Most of you have no idea that there's conflict in this church, right? Because you come in on Sunday morning, and the music's about Jesus, and the message is about Jesus, and, and the people seem to love Jesus. You know what? That's not an act. It's not something that just happens on Sunday morning. The music is about Jesus. The message is about Jesus. And generally speaking, we kind of do love Jesus. I've been out a couple of Sundays over the last couple of months, and, and I was visiting other churches in our state on those Sundays. And as I was sitting in those other churches and those other services, you know what I was thinking? Man, I wish I was at Holland Avenue. There's this longing to be here. Are we a perfect church? No. But you know what? We got a little something, something. I don't know what it is, but there's a little something, something. You know, the, the Lord is just, he's just doing something here. God is just doing something in our midst. And we really need to be thankful for that because according to demographics and statistics and even a, a casual look at the community, we're the, the type, the kind of church that's supposed to be dead and dying. And yet we're not. We're alive and we're thriving by the grace of God. God is doing something here. Now, is everything great and perfect? Are we doing everything right? No. Is everybody happy with the music? No. Everybody happy with the preaching? No. Everybody happy with the committees? Everybody happy with the, the bathrooms? Everybody happy with the, the cushioning and the pews? Everybody happy with the heat and the air? Everybody happy with everything that's going on in the church? No. No, it's not. And, and are there conflicts during the week, Monday through Saturday, about the things that people aren't happy about? Yep. Yeah, there are. And you know how long those conflicts have been going on? When did those start? Well, they started in March of 1955 when the church was started. And they've been going on ever since. And every other church in the world is exactly the same. There's always conflicts. There's, there's always conflicts happening in the life of the church. But I will say this, for, for Holland Avenue, we have some things to offset the conflicts. We have a hardworking staff. We have faithful deacons. We have some of the best volunteers in this church on the planet. We have some super Sunday school teachers, and we have some super small group leaders. This past week, we had at least 88 adults that were in a small group class at our church. That's not Sunday morning Sunday school. That's Wednesday night classes and classes and groups that meet at people's homes, 88 people. We have two more groups that are starting this week, which means we'll have more than 100 adults this week that will grow stronger by going smaller into a small group. Some of you will head off to Springdale Elementary in the next few weeks to go read with children during the school day. 
Some of you others will be here on Thursdays as volunteers to welcome more than 10 middle school students to our campus every Thursday so that they can be taught the Bible during school hours as an elective for class. Those are just a few things that are happening. God is just doing something in our church. And he's doing those things even when the normal conflicts that come up with the church are happening. Listen, we do our slap best to deal with conflicts as they come along. We do. We try. But every conflict can't be dealt with immediately. And some conflicts, just because of the nature of the conflict, might last for even years. But no matter what the conflict is, there's no reason that we have to dwell on it. I'd say 99.6% of any conflict that happens in the church never needs to make it in here for worship on Sunday mornings. For that matter, 99.6% of the conflict in a church never need to make it to a church conference. Why? Well, because we as believers, we're supposed to be doing everything we can to make sure that our names aren't printed in the Bible. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Well, these two ladies, whatever it is that was going on with them, it became so bad that news got back to Paul and he had to write about it. See, we as believers, we're supposed to be doing everything we can. When conflict arises, just quickly and immediately try to work it out. It won't always happen, but just, just go ahead and deal with it. Just go ahead and work it out. Because if you don't, then it goes outside of just you and the person you disagree with. Paul is writing about these two ladies and their disagreement because it was affecting the whole church. It was causing a problem in the church. Unnecessary arguing in the body of Christ, it disrupts the ministry of the church. It, it can suck the spiritual energy out of a church too. And it can distract the church from the message of the church, which is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And, and so conflict is, is not a small thing. This, this discord, it can stir people up in the wrong way. It can even stir people up to not do as many things in the church or even to leave the church. And so this picture is discord can lead to discouragement. Discouragement might lead to departure. And departure can lead to danger. Danger. Why, why would we say danger? Well, here's why. Arguments rarely stay between two people, Right? I mean, you got to call your BFF or text them and tell them what's going on. You got to go on Facebook and post it so everybody knows what's happening. You know, it, it spreads. It goes beyond the two people. And, and next thing you know, you're talking to other church members and spouses and kids and, and friends and neighbors. And even some guy who's just sitting next to you at Hardy's in the morning, you're just telling him the whole story, you know? See, the, the danger is these things spread. And so Paul is saying, look, I need y'all to live in harmony. I, I need you ladies to live in harmony. The word harmony, it, it means to agree or to have the same mind. And so what Paul's saying is this. He said, I need y'all to stop thinking about disagreeing and start thinking about agreeing. I need you to, to start focusing on what it means to have the same mind. So how do you do that? Well, John the baptizer, as Chuck Colson, Chuck Colson calls him, put it this way. John 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Believers should have the same mind about Jesus. We should be thinking about Jesus. Here's what that looks like practically. If I am striving in my life to try to increase my thoughts and my attitude toward Jesus, I will not be paralyzed 
by something that another Christian or my spouse or my kids or my neighbors or my friends or a complete stranger does or says to me. I won't be paralyzed by those things if I'm increasing my thoughts toward Jesus. And if I'm increasing my thoughts toward Jesus, guess what happens? The cup overflows. Those those thoughts, those attitudes about Jesus, they'll spill out to other people. Because we all know that that whining and complaining and nagging and giving the cold shoulder and and being a silent bully and being a, a verbal bully, all of those things are a great way to handle relationships, right? There's no way that that honey instead of vinegar and and being kind and being gracious and communicating and and saying thank you and being patient, those things will never help in a relationship, will they? They will. If Jesus is increasing in my mind and my heart, then I will also not be obsessed with trying to get my way. The math is unbelievably simple. The, the more Jesus increases in our mind, the more our thoughts, the more we do exactly what the choir sang, all I want is to be like you, Jesus. The more that stirs in our minds, the more movement we make toward that, the more we are not going to care that much about being right or getting our way. Sadly, though, there are those who will not let Jesus increase. They do not want to have the same mind. D.A. Carson says this, The truth is sometimes neither side wants to be corrected or sharpened. Both sides are so convinced they are right that mere facts will not correct them. And in any case, all they want to do is win. That part, facts will not correct them. How many times have you been in that conversation? All right, here's exactly what happened. You know, there's no connection. Just no connection. He goes on to say this, In that frame of mind, they easily forget it is always inappropriate at best and frankly sinful at worst to try to manipulate people into changing their minds. Don't be a bully. Don't don't manipulate. And don't fight to get your way. Don't, Don't try to get your way. In fact, if we're a believer, the question we need to consistently be asking is, right now, is Jesus increasing or am I increasing? Particularly in a disagreement. Is Jesus increasing or am I increasing? Am I trying to offer my attitude up to the one who loved me and gave himself up for me right now? Or am I just trying to get my way? That's the picture that Paul's drawing us into. But how do people who are not living in harmony suddenly start living in harmony? Well, Paul's already told us. Listen again to verse 2. I urge Yodi and I urge Sintiki to live in harmony in the Lord. We have to turn our affections to the stunning reality that in Christ we are in the Lord. We have a, a relationship with the one true living God. We've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and we've been transferred into the kingdom of light. This is an amazing reality. It should drive everything that we do. It should drive everything that we say. So how do we do that? How do we think about being in the Lord? Well, it means that when we have a disagreement, particularly when we have a disagreement with believers, the first question that we ask should not be, what would my parents think about this? Or what would my spouse think about this? Or what would my pastor say about this? Or what do my kids want in this situation? Or how do I feel about this situation? Or how have we done it for the last 25 years? None of those are the right question. The right question as believers, if we are in the Lord, is to say, you know what, what does the Bible say about this? How does God's word help me think about this conflict in this moment right now? That's what it means to be 
in the Lord. You run from your opinions and you run to God's truth. Now notice here that Paul did not choose sides either. He didn't choose sides. He, he didn't say, Euodia, you're wrong and you need to go apologize to Syntyche and you just need to bury the hatchet. You know, move on. Now he didn't say that. And in not saying that, what he means is both people seem to be at fault. Which we love that, don't we? <laughs> we love to hear that we might be a little bit at fault. You know, we really don't. You know, when, when there's a, a conflict, when there's a disagreement, we generally feel like somebody is right and somebody kind of needs to get their way and we kind of hope that somebody is us. That, that's usually how we think. We usually are, are fighting just to kind of get what we want. But here's the thing. If you're a believer, you already have what you want. You already have what you want. The old hymn says it this way, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Being in the Lord is really enough. Being Christ, being in Christ is really enough. Whatever you're arguing with about with your spouse right now or your kids or your roommate at school or your teacher or your boss or your neighbor, whoever it may be, I promise if you're a believer, what you have in Christ is enough. It's greater than the argument. Doesn't mean the argument doesn't matter. Doesn't mean the argument doesn't need to be you know, rectified. Doesn't mean that that conflict doesn't need to be resolved. But if you are in Christ, if you are in the Lord, you have enough. You have enough. The math works. Everything you need is found in Christ. And you don't have to fight to get your way because in a way you've already got your way because your sin has been dealt with and you've been rescued and you've been saved. And so the answer that your soul needs the most, you already have. So you don't have to fight to get your way because you kind of have already gotten your way in Christ, in the Lord. You're saved. You're redeemed. You're safe. You're in the Lord. You're in the Lord, and that's enough. That's enough. Sinclair Ferguson said this, We can never shake hands with a Christian after a disagreement and say to them, I told you so. We must always say, the Lord told us both so. <laughs> so how, how do we get into those handshakes? How, how, do we, how do we move toward those handshakes? Well, sometimes we need some help. Look what Paul says next in verse 3. Indeed, true companion, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. So who's this true companion? No clue. We don't know. But whoever it is, it's, it's someone who's a friend to the church. And Paul wants him to step in and to help these two ladies with their disagreement. He doesn't say, look, I, I want you to rebuke them, I want you to lecture them, and I want you to kick them out of the church. No, he says, I want you to step in. I, I want you to help out, help them with this disagreement. Let me ask you a very important question. Are you a true companion? Are you a true companion? Are you the kind of person at school and at work, on the hall at your dorm, at this church, out in the community, are you the kind of person that you can be counted on to help when there's a conflict that you'll, you'll step in? See, many times we're usually the ones that want to step out when we see a conflict. You know, we want to close the garage. We want to shut the door. We want to go the other way. But particularly in the body of Christ, when there's a, a conflict in God's church, we're supposed to be the kind of people that step in. All of us, 
We're supposed to step in and graciously try to help when a disagreement comes up. Paul is asking this one man to go and help these two ladies. And notice what he says about these women. They have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. I mean, these ain't two mean old gossiping hens, all right? That's not what's happening here. Man, these are, these are two women who love Jesus. They used to be out with Paul on the front line sharing the gospel. They very possibly were persecuted for their faith. They genuinely believe in Jesus. They are genuinely following Jesus. They are genuine, authentic believers. They're Christians. But something's happened. Maybe because they're Christians, it's even theological. It might be, might be something that's kind of important. But whatever it is, even if it's something good and noble, they've allowed it to be a conflict in the church. Pastor Michael Bentley said this, They had been very bold in speaking to non-Christians about the salvation that there was in Christ, but now it seems that they would not even speak to each other. So Paul's asking a friend to step in and help, and not just one friend, more than one friend. Look at the next part of verse 3. Together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So who's Clement? I don't know. Some dude, he's there. He's in the church, and it seemed like that he and the true companion and Yodia and Syntyche and, and some other folks, they all went to church together, that they were all kind of in the same church. But besides church in common, they had something else in common. What does Paul say? Their names are in the book of life. Friend, if there is any motivation for us to avoid unnecessary conflict, unnecessary disagreement, unnecessary arguing, that motivation should be that our names are recorded in heaven. That our names are written in the book of life. If our names are written in the book of life, that changes everything. It doesn't mean we won't disagree. It doesn't mean that we won't argue. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be any conflict because there will be. But when our names are written in the book of life, it changes every single other second of our lives. If we fail the test, our names are written in the book of life. If our spouse is driving us up the wall, our names are written in the book of life. If our kids are driving us up the wall, our names are written in the book of life. If we're frustrated with something at work, at school, at church, our names are written in the book of life. If our politicians are failing to do what we think they should do, our names are written in the book of life. When the doctor brings us news that we don't like to hear, our names are written in the book of life. Friend, that changes everything. Everything. And Paul made sure he put it here couple of ladies disagreeing. True companion, Clement, the rest of you guys, the rest of you ladies, get around them and y'all just sit and for a moment somebody remind everybody that your names are written in the book of life. And then let's see what changes after that. So what does that look like in real life? During World War II, Corrie Ten Boom was arrested for assisting her family in trying to help Jewish people escape and flee from Nazi soldiers. After her arrest, she eventually was taken to the Ravensbrück concentration camp. By God's grace, through some amazing sovereign circumstances, she was released in December of 1940. 
44. A few years after that, she was speaking at a church, and when she got through speaking, she came down and she noticed a man that was coming to talk to her. And as she saw him, she immediately recognized him as one of the guards at Ravensbrook Concentration Camp. There were thousands of women that were at this particular camp, and so she didn't think that he would recognize her, and he didn't. But he stepped up, and this is what he said to her. You mentioned Ravensbrook. I was a guard in there, but since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but will you forgive me? She says, it could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand had out to me, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then, his, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But that's not the end of the story according to her viewpoint. She goes on. And having thus learned to forgive in this hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say it. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed for me from then on, but they didn't. She died in the mid-80s. She says this, If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God each day. And then she says this, Maybe I'm glad it's that way. For every time I go to him, he teaches me something else. Dear Christian, this side of heaven it's never going to be perfect harmony. The song is never going to be perfect. There's always going to be conflict. But because our names have been written in the book of life, may God strengthen us to live and to serve and to love and to sing as believers in harmony. May God give us the same mind May he teach us what it means to agree even when we disagree. And would he draw us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the one thing we need is for Jesus to increase. All I want is to be like Jesus. And that be our cry, our plea, our song, all the days of our lives.